This morning's scripture comes from Mark chapter 1, 1 through 8. Remember, this is the beginning of our look through Mark, and we start with the person, the message of John the Baptist. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. So, are you prepared to encounter Christ? This morning, you know, with the uh, crazy events of the last several years, there has been an, um, an increase in the amount of times that you hear people talking about and discussing end times, um, whether it's prophecies or signs or symbols and things. Uh, there's even so-called prophets emerging from the woodwork with dreams and visions and things that people share. Uh, I remember at one point someone sharing with me a, uh, a YouTube video of this prophet who had a dream uh, and they were sharing about the things that they saw in this dream. And it was interesting because they were humble enough in the video to say, you know, this kind of thing doesn't happen to me very often. So just take it for what it's worth. But they said, uh, I'm just not sure. I, could, I couldn't not say it. And so they put it out there. Uh, the dream that he shared was a little bit far-fetched, but his message was really in the end, just be prepared. And so when I heard that and his kind of quality there, I thought, well, okay, I mean, what does it mean to be prepared? You know, we should always kind of be prepared. Turns out that his application, uh, his interpretation of that uh, was to get a well-armed bunker uh, to make sure that you had uh, guns stocked up in a bunker for you. And I was like, I'm not sure how that squel squares very well with what the Bible talks about and being prepared. Uh, but I thought of that this week because there's a lot of preparation happening in this passage. Um, but before we get into the text, uh, let's talk about Mark. So this is our first week in the Gospel of Mark. You might ask, why Mark? You know, I've said uh, I like to, for us as a community, go through at least one Gospel a year in some meaningful way, but why Mark instead of the other ones? Um, well, although Matthew appears first in our Bibles, and with my year here with you, we go with Matthew, uh, Mark is actually believed to have been written earlier. In fact, both Matthew and Luke appear to have borrowed material from Mark and added their own. Uh, but also the message of Mark, uh, I think, has some special significance for us here um, as a community. So Mark's telling of the good news is, is also the shortest account that we have. It's simple. It's vivid. It's full of activity. Uh, it tends to let Jesus' words and actions kind of speak for themselves rather than giving ex extra explanation. And part of this is simply because of when and why Mark is writing. It's generally accepted that Mark was writing to the early church pretty early on, uh, likely for the first Christians in Rome 
who were experiencing persecution, persecution at the time. Tradition says that Mark is actually gathering together some resources he's gleaned from own preaching and maybe compi compiling them into an orderly account here. So we might keep that in mind as the text sometimes seems to jump around or be sparse on details before it moves on. Mark may have simply not had that much time to uh, present a more polished text because he's writing to a people who are really under fire and he's trying to get this text out as a resource for them as quickly as possible. And that may also influence the choices he does make in compiling this material together. These believers in the midst of persecution, they need a reminder about the hope laid before them, instructions for how to live in light of Jesus's life and teaching, ministry, death, and resurrection. So Mark is painting a picture for them of what this gospel is all about, what it was like to be there with Jesus, and what it means for us and how we can live faithfully even through difficult times. And it all starts with John the Baptist. We've already talked about him a little bit this, this morning. By the way, does anybody know what, the, uh, what John the Baptist and Winnie the Pooh have in common? Two things, actually. They say they both eat honey. They both have the same little name, the. Right? Fortunately, fortunately, John wore pants, so he has that going for him. We know from Luke's account that John's dad is a priest, but since his parents were pretty old when they conceived, uh, they likely passed away when he was still young. Now he's grown. He's decidedly not a priest. Uh, he, instead of operating in the center of all the religious activity in Jerusalem, he's out living in the wilderness, living off the land. John is a messenger, the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy of one who would prepare the way to help people to be prepared. So these opening verses, they tell us something about what it means to be prepared to receive Christ. Uh, I think we see it shows us where God prepares us, how God prepares us. Turn this back on. And why God prepares us. Let's talk about these this morning. Where does God prepare us? In the wilderness. It's no accident that John the Baptist comes preaching in the wilderness. It's a prophetic sign that God is inviting his people to where it all began, in a sense. In the exodus from Egypt, and their formation as a people, Israel started in the wilderness. They were called out from their, uh, they are also now being called out from their lives in the Roman Empire to be prepared for salvation in the wilderness. The wilderness can be a place of chaos and uncertainty, but it's also a place where God can strip away all the stuff of life to bring clarity and wonder. I was asking the kids this week, when they think of a wilderness, what do they think of? Sometimes when I'm going out on a hike or in the woods, I think this is the wilderness. Um, but often in, in scripture, when it says the word wilderness, it's thinking more of a desert sort of area. So at that time, the region that they're in, uh, wilderness is a place of barrenness. There's just not much around. God often prepares us in the wilderness because that's the place that he can get our full attention. It's where, where also all of our junk starts to bubble to the surface. We can't hide it or run away from it. We have to deal with it. 
It's where the distractions are few and our fears and our anxieties become clear and focused. You know, sometimes we discover how, our, how small our fears or anxieties are in comparison with the grandeur of God. Sometimes we discover just how big of a mess we are actually in when it comes into focus. But either way, they come into focus. God asks us to leave our busyness, our comfort, our regular routine, to go out and to meet God so we can be saved. And for Israel, it's a real, literal reminder of how they have saved, been saved before. It's as if God is saying, come to me here. Remember how I saved you before call, and called you my own. Come and make things right with me. I want you, all of you. So work this out in the place where it all started. We often avoid, avoid these kind of places. We avoid the places where we're in need, where we feel exposed for obvious reasons. But the Bible points us to the reality that God can actually use these, uh, these places and these moments for great good, whether it's a literal wilderness or if it's just those moments in our lives that feel out of control or we feel like our resources are few. We might think this is the worst place to be in. And God saying, this is the best place for you to be right now. I can claim you as I can rescue you, remind you, I can save you here rather than you trying to save yourself. So God prepares us in the wilderness places and God prepares us through repentance. So John had a fairly simple but radical message. He said, repent and be baptized because the Lord is coming in power to bring salvation. So John calls out from the wilderness and calls people into the Jordan River to be baptized. Now, this sort of immersion is a dramatic act of cleansing, and it was actually not foreign to the Jewish people. It was, at the time, generally a practice. I mean, they had other cleansing rituals, but this act of full immersion like this was something that was generally used when there were God-fearing Gentiles who wanted to enter into the Jewish community, who wanted to become Israel. They would go through the act. They developed the tradition to say, all right, they are no longer these unclean Gentiles. They are being immersed and then can go through the other rituals in order to enter into the, uh, the, the people of faith. But John wasn't talking to Gentiles when he did this. He was talking to the Jewish people themselves. It's as if he is saying to them, you've become so wayward that they should then view themselves as if they were outsiders who needed to come in. So they're preparing themselves in this way. It's an interesting tension that we see here and all throughout Scripture. Over and over again, we see in the pages of Scripture, God taking the initiative to rescue, to cleanse, to restore. You don't have to wait until your life is all put together for God to save. And yet we also see the value of these great acts of humility, where we prepare ourselves in humility and submission before God in order to prepare ourselves for the healing work that is to come. So John's baptism here is it's really powerful and it's very sensory for them. God gives us these kind of gifts that are not just always just uh, you know logical, but they they really appeal to all of ourselves, our physical, our emotional selves, to things and something tactile. Um, this act of repenting was accompanied by this being plunged into the water as an act and a symbol of cleansing. 
like the call into the wilderness, the journey through the waters reminded the Jewish people of God's saving action as he brought them out of Egypt through the parked waters of the Red Sea. And later, when he stopped the flow of the Jordan River so they could cross into the promised land, the same river that John is now baptizing in. So John's baptism is a baptism of repentance or the forgiveness of sins. And that's an important note as well, an important concept to grasp, because this repentance, this forgiveness is happening in the gospel at the very outset, long before the cross, which will happen at the end of Mark's gospel. The truth is that the cross is not the first time that God has demonstrated his great love and forgiveness. It's kind of what he's known for all throughout scripture. God has always been about mercy and forgiveness. The means of restoring relationship has changed finally and fully through the cross. And the funny thing is, we often treat forgiveness of sin like it's the big good news. And this is just the gospel's preamble. Things are just getting started, right? Effectively, John the Baptist is out there saying, get right with God because you will not believe what he's got in store. You won't believe in it. God prepares us in the wilderness, prepares us through repentance, and prepares us for the Holy Spirit. Now, this is interesting because you might assume that the answer would be Jesus. That's the Sunday school answer, right? And after all, Mark 1.1, this is the beginning of the good of Jesus, the Messiah. And John says that he's preparing the way for another who will be far greater than him. Someone so great that John won't even be worthy to stoop down and to undo his sandals like a servant. Which is also ironic because he's talking about Jesus who would later stoop down to wash the feet of his own disciples. But then John goes further to talk about what Jesus will do. John says that the one who's coming will initiate a different kind of baptism, not with water, but with the Holy Spirit. Not just for the forgiveness of sins, but for a new outpouring of God's presence. John's baptism cleansed. Jesus' baptism invites to a new life where we can die to self and come alive through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the difference between John's baptism and the baptism that we undergo as Christians. Because when we are baptized in the name of Jesus, it's an act of testimony to our belief in him as lord and we are dying to ourselves so that we might come alive in the power of the holy spirit about a whole new life when paul talks about baptism to the church in rome he says this in romans 6 starting in verse 3 or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into christ were baptized into his death we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of God the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with Christ in, in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with and that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also 
live with him. So John could proclaim a baptism of repentance and preparation, but he could not promise the rest of it. He couldn't impart God's spirit to anybody, but John knew what was coming. John knew what was coming. And as soon as Jesus steps on the scene, he begins demonstrating the freedom and the power of the kingdom of God. If you read on chapter one of Mark, you begin to see and get a taste of it. Just as he heals many people, drives out demons, he starts proclaiming the kingdom of God inaugurated and here right now and demonstrating the power of the Holy Spirit in their midst. But the power that Jesus displays through the Holy Spirit it isn't meant to just impress people or to, to garner fame, although it does. Crowds follow him. In fact, he seems intent on keeping his identity secret. He keeps telling people, hey, don't tell anyone. And when the crowds start seeking him out, he insists that there's more work to be done. And he keeps moving on to a different place. In the same way for us, the gift of the Holy Spirit is given. It isn't meant to help us do these mighty, amazing, miraculous things Although that is within the purview of the church, the Holy Spirit helps us in these ways and sometimes expresses itself through miracles. But it's given to us so that we can give witness to God's kingdom. The sacrificial loving that confronts death with hope and compassion. It starts to confront the reality of sin and evil in the world, life, goodness, with the actual transformation that's happening from the inside out as individuals, as a that attests to a different kind of life that is possible and that is coming and will be fully established in Jesus' return. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to live this kind of life, the kind of life that Jesus lived, and the courage to face the kind of death that Jesus did. I mentioned earlier that Mark was writing during a time of persecution. And so part of his message was to encourage believers for whom martyrdom was a very real possibility. It happened at any moment. And his gospel is an encouragement that we can be prepared and have our hope in a Christ who gives us a hope that is beyond death, that death is not the final word. We don't have to have anxiety about it. We can be encouraged and emboldened. We need to be careful not to distance ourselves from that reality that is part of the universal church. We, there's a tendency in the, the U.S. church, sometimes cry persecution at things that aren't really persecution. We dare not fall into the trap of calling it persecution when uh, Starbucks fails to put Merry Christmas on their, their cups, right? Or when we just, uh, maybe we experience some loss of privileges that uh, Christians or Christianity had at one point. That's not really the same thing, right? But we should. We should live with an appropriate antagonism to the world that realizes the possibility of a time of a world in which we might die the death of Christ. To recognize that the ways of the world will not always be consistent with the ways of God's kingdom and that living and following him may mean we come into conflict. Doesn't mean we go searching it out, but it means that uh, it may happen, and at those times, we need not fear or have anxiety, but we can be baptized into Christ's life and also be baptized into his death, preparing us for what may come. And Jesus calls that blessing. 
Jesus calls that kind of life blessing when we are persecuted for his name's sake. Because it happened to all the prophets that came before him and it happened to him. We are participating in his life. That's a joy, blessing when that happens. It's not something that we have to be anxious about, that we have to try to avoid at all costs. The Holy Spirit gives us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, so that we might respond to the evil of the world with perfect light and life, with the willingness to confront persecution, swerving faith that knows that death is not the final word. For most of us, that kind of life will probably not mean martyrdom and death. But it may mean giving up the kind of life that we thought we'd have. It can mean giving up a job because it, it requires you to do something that you are convicted is against God's will. It can mean relocating your home so you can be a more tangible witness to those who need hope and love. It can mean uh, be as simple as the loss of privileges that you might have had otherwise. Whatever it is, I can promise you this, whatever you give up will most certainly be worth it for the life that you will obtain on the other side of Christ. But God prepares us in the wilderness through repentance to receive the Holy Spirit that enables us to live that we couldn't possibly live on our own. I wonder today what you will do with the life that Christ has offered. Perhaps you're still uh, in the seeking stage of your faith. You know that there's something not quite right in your life that you need to uh, take that first step to give your life over to God. Or, or maybe you've made that decision a long time ago, but things have just kind of gotten out of sorts. You need to come before God, repent, and restart. Maybe you've believed for a long time, but you've just never made the step to make it official, to be baptized or to, to really officially join a community of faith. Or maybe you just need to be refreshed and to pray for an awakening of the Holy Spirit in you, to live more deeply and more consistently after him day by day. Whatever that choice is for you today, to be prepared, to be with him, not bunkering yourself and forcing yourself away, but instead to be prepared to engage the world with hope, with gladness, with joy, no matter what may come. I pray that today can be that decision moment. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you because you have given us courage. You have given us life. You have prepared us every step of the way, Lord. You don't hide yourself or your ways from us, Lord, but you speak to us plainly. You give us revelation. You have given us your word. You have given us community. You have given us your Holy Spirit to illumine and enlighten us and respond to you, even in the midst of our own brokenness and our own frailty and inability to even want the good, that you have given us grace and mercy, taste and see to respond in whatever small step that we can, courage and boldness, and that with whatever step that we take, that you will do something amazing and profound with that obedience. And so, Spirit, as you 
highlight that for us this morning as we close our service. I pray that you might help us to know what our individual next step is so that we can take it, whether it's to talk with a friend or uh, uh, here today or, or, or even someone at home to continue the conversation, whatever we need to do to make it real for us in our lives. Help us to seize on that moment. Pray that in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening today to Sermons at Smoky Row Brethren Church. If you enjoyed this message, would you consider leaving a rating or review or share a link to it on your social media page? All of those things can help to spread the reach of this podcast and make this resource accessible to more people for their spiritual growth. Or if you believe in the mission and the work of our congregation and want to support what we're doing, you can give online at smokyrow.org give. Link available in the show notes. All of our ministry work is funded by the generosity of people like you. Until the next time, may the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may lead you. And the peace and the power of his Holy Spirit. See you soon.